Welcome to Ellas, a bi-weekly podcast made by Latinas for Latinas. I talk with talented, inspiring, and empowering women that are living their dreams and making a path for the next generation. I'm Brenda hernandez Caimes, and this is Ellas. Hola. I hope we're all healthy, safe, and sound in your homes. I want to start today's episode by saying muchas gracias. Gracias to all the agricultural workers, healthcare workers, the grocery store workers, the caregivers, the pharmacists, the restaurant and delivery employees, and so many others who continue to show up for work. During this pandemic, many people lost their jobs, and many are in the front lines to continue providing us food, and others are placing their lives in danger to help those who have been affected by the coronavirus. I realize that I'm super blessed to be working from home and that my family depends on me right now. And I know that many of you are in the same position. And I also realize that working from home is a privilege. Again, I'm super thankful and I know that many others don't have that privilege, which is why I want to share some important numbers with you. Here on Ellas, not only is it our mission to inspire you to continue on your professional dreams, but I also focus on what's going on in the different industries in our community, and how this pandemic has affected many people. So, according to the Economic Policy Institute and the research that Elise Gold and Heidi Scherholz conducted, less than 30% of workers can work from home, and that ability differs enormously by race and ethnicity. That's right, mujeres. This has also affected women of color. Listen to this. 30% of Asian Americans and 30% of white Americans can work remotely while 20% of Black Americans and 16% of Hispanic Americans are able to work from home. Not that shocking. And I'll be honest, it does hurt to see that, again, we're at the bottom. And these numbers show how much work we still have to do. While you listen to this episode in the comfort of your home, I want you to think about how you can use your privilege to help a fellow Latina who has lost their job recently. And that can be your hermana, prima, amiga, tia, mama, anyone. So before we begin with today's interview, I want to share three powerful actions to help nuestras hermanas. Number one, connect them. Creating connections during this moment is vital. Your friend who was laid off can benefit from connecting with your mentor who's amazing at resumes, from editing them to really focusing on showcasing their skills and experience to be hired. And as you know, on many previous episodes here on AES, my guests and I focus on this topic, but two episodes really stand out to me that can really help. Episode 18 with Melba Tellez and episode 7 with Michelle Gomez. Both are mujeres who focus their work on resumes and interviewing. If you need some help, re-listen to those episodes or connect with people that you know. Look through your contacts or anyone you might be following on Instagram that focuses their work on career coaching. Or even better, you can be that person to help your friends revise their resume. If you have graphic design skills, help them out with a unique and professional design. Help them edit their resume and if you need more help, I highly advise to re-listen to episodes 7 and 18 to take some strategies that your friends can take and run with it. 
Action number two, share their story. Now that your friend has her resume looking perfect and is updated and shows the qualities that can hire her, help them out by sharing it on LinkedIn. So you continue to create these connections by sharing her story with others who are looking to hire. It really makes a big difference. It might seem small, but trust me, it's big. And you showing your support online creates a strong case for your friend. And we're really lucky to live with the technology that we have, that sharing our friend's resumes only takes a couple of minutes. Really be that driving force that helps your friend take the next step in their job search. Action number three, practice interviews. Now, if you have the time to binge watch Tiger King, then you definitely have the time to help out your Amiga with practice interviews. And I'm not shaming anyone on binge watching. I have done it. But seriously, we have a lot of time on our hands now. So get on Zoom, be on Google Hangouts or FaceTime and role play. As their friend, you're the best person to help them by reminding them of their best qualities and why they shine. So I'm remembering an interview experience that happened to one of my best friends, Patricia. Shout out to Patty. She was interviewed and one of the interview questions that she was asked was, if your best friend was here and if I were to ask her, what are your best qualities? What do you think she would say? And I remember that when I always do this, I always tell her like, Patti, you are the sun. You know, you have this light that just pulls people towards you because you have such a great positive attitude. You know, your work ethic is amazing. You're always hardworking. You're always on top of your work. You're always on top of, you know, what needs to be done. You always go to that extra mile. And we have this beautiful friendship that we, you know, we, we both remind each other of what we're good at, of, you know, in those moments of doubt and like, oh, thinking we're not good enough, we always remind each other. So it was really funny that she was asked this because she started actually, you know, smiling and laughing and she said, well, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because she always says this and then she, you know, continued to share the words I always tell her. So, and going back to this is that really you're the perfect person to remind your friend why she's the best at what she does. Right now, their confidence level is not high. Someone who has in their career been laid off before, your confidence really goes down. So you really need to be there and support them and remind them why they're good at, you know, remind them of their skills, reminding them of their abilities and really being that support system of creating these connections, of creating the support, of of sharing their stories, you know, and I know these actions were super short, but they're very important and so easy that we sometimes forget, especially during these, you know, crazy times, but it doesn't take a lot from your schedule, you know? After all, like I said, we have a lot of time on our hands. Remember, friendship, empathy, and kindness are qualities that are more important than ever. So right now, you providing these important moments of friendship, of support to your friend can mean the world to them and really create a difference during this time. So remember, 
you're going to connect them with a mentor so they can improve their resume. Share their story on LinkedIn and practice those interviews. Ask them those deep questions, those questions that even like you've been asked in previous interviews. Maybe they can help them out during these practice interviews. Really help them be their best selves so they can be prepared. So I want to know how you're going through this time, how you're showing up for your community, how you're helping them out. Let me know. And if I hope you can apply these actions right now during this time. Or maybe you have different actions that you're helping out with your friends. Please share them with me. I would love to know. You, you can share them through Instagram on A is the podcast or through a review on Apple Podcasts or through an email at A is the podcast at gmail.com. So after that short but very important reminder of those three actions, I also want to remind you of the giveaway, the review giveaway of the one year anniversary. It's still going on. Remember, the deadline is April 25th. In order to enter, you have to review on Apple Podcasts, screenshot that review, email it to me at aliasofthepodcast at gmail.com with your name, and I will randomly select a winner, and they will receive a giveaway goodie bag. It will have the Amada Cross Body Clutch from Emi Luna, from our guest Elvira Contreras, and a copy of Own Your Brilliance, Overcome Imposter Syndrome for Career Success by Michelle Gomez. A Cabrona y Bonita Keychain from Claudia Ramos Designs. And a gorgeous photograph from Cher Martinez. Now, with further ado, I'm so excited to start today's show. And share with you my talk with the super talented actress, Mimi Davila. So, just for a disclaimer... Mimi and I talked in the beginning of this month of March. Things were not that chaotic as now, but we were still social distancing as everyone was in California. But I really hope that you can find hope and inspiration in this talk and remind you that we've all faced challenges. We've all faced bumps in the roads and this challenge of the coronavirus is different. Yes, but we are resilient we are a strong community. We will get through this by staying inside your home, helping out your amigas with these three actions, and sharing kindness and empathy. And ahora sí, comenzamos. Hola, welcome back to Ellas. For the 29th episode, I have the pleasure of introducing Mimi Davila. She's a talented Cubana and Bulgarian actress, writer, producer, voice actor, and comedian. Along with her best friend, Laura Di Lorenzo, Mimi and her created Chongalicious, a homemade music video that became a viral hit. It was a first requested song for two weeks and was featured on Telemundo, Univision, CW, NBC, Miami Herald, and many more TV programs. Classically trained, Mimi has appeared in several theatrical and television productions, including Tara Alvin McCraney's production of Hamlet. Since her viral hit, Mimi has appeared in one of my favorite movies, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, The Fast and the Fierce, and Broken Angels. You can also hear her as the voice of Romel on the Netflix series Voltron. Her amazing career continues to flourish, and she has most recently starred 
in the short film Piel Canela, shot in Cuba, and will be appearing in the upcoming short film Limestone. Along with her writing partner, Laura, Mimi and her are writing the scripts for their short film and full-length feature. And the success doesn't stop there, as they also won the Best Fictional Character at the Decla Awards. Please welcome Mimi Davila. Hola, Mimi. Wow. Hi. You made that sound so nice. Thank you. <laughs> no, and seriously, like, you have a wonderful, so far, a wonderful career, and I'm really happy and proud that you've accomplished so many goals in terms of the film industry, and, like, you're such an inspiration, like, a voice actor, an actress, producer, writer, like, you're, you're an amazing mujer, seriously. Oh my god, wow, thank you so much, <laughs> thank you. You know, here on Ellas, I really love to start, before anything else, to have a space where you can describe yourself to our listeners, who is Mimi, and because, you know, you've done so much, you've accomplished so much, who are you as a person, as a mujer? I think... I'm someone who's constantly pushing myself and I've always placed a lot of value on my achievements. And I think right now in my life, I'm trying to find the balance of being ambitious because I don't think that's a bad thing, which I am, but also finding value in myself regardless of what I accomplish or don't accomplish. And I think that with that, being able to master that distinction in my self-worth and value, no matter what, is actually um, going to push me further into my love for what I do and help me create, even keep helping me create. But I think it's, um, you know, I think growing up, I, I moved to, I was a baby when we came to a country and my parents we're trying to figure out this country themselves as well. I think that has a lot to do with having this extra drive to push and to figure everything out and to... So I've always been a very goal-oriented person, but I don't... Um, I have to... You know, I'm, I'm very hard on myself, and I really am working on loving myself no matter what. So I'm just repeating myself now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that I, I can really relate to that because being ambitious and being like having that drive to accomplish your dreams and value the work that you're doing, I feel like it's tough on pe on people like women as like us who, you know, it takes a while to see those result results or we kind of feel guilty taking that time off to like in order to recharge and then go back at it, back at work, were you always, yeah. you know, I imagine, did your parents instill that value of, of, you know, going after your dreams, of placing that value in your work, or was it like a... No, I don't think they did in that way. They're not very, like, they were never like, oh, if you don't get good grades. Well, I had to get good grades. I definitely yeah. had to get good grades. But I think my parents would have, my mom would have loved it if I stayed... In Miami, my mom and dad would have loved if I stayed there, but I think it was like just subconsciously seeing the way that you know the struggle. I that probably definitely affected me. Then they never said you have to do something great. I think mm -hmm. it's just 
subconsciously, you know, I love what I do, and I think that comes from with me. Like, I love acting, I love creating, I love, I love being an artist, but I think that, like, the need to achieve and be something great came from, like, wanting something more than wanting something more than what we had. Yeah. And and I think it's, that's the, really the, the paradox of, like, like chilling out, not necessarily doesn't mean like stopping or taking a break, but just like you're you're fine no matter what. And so everything you do should come from a place of love and not from a place of lack. Not from a place of like, oh my god, like I need to be great and I need to like help my family and I need to fix everything. Like calm down, we'll, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But like continue doing what you love because you love it from abundance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think when I was, when I was younger, I've always been like super goal oriented. Did you come across like a little challenge or like a big challenge in your life where it kind of made you realize that you had to take to be like calm and not like you know driving that goal oriented self that you were before? Uh, I think yeah. I think like this industry that I'm in. I mean, I I live in LA and I'm in. I think it's one of the most mentally and emotionally challenging businesses you can be in. I would say it's just as difficult as being a Marine. Mm-hmm. Maybe not on a physical level, but on a mental level, it's, it is probably one of the most difficult things you can do because you have to believe in yourself so much. And you have to believe in something you don't see yet, maybe, and continue to push yourself to be the best that you can be. And so I think that really makes me go into I have to love and I have to mm-hmm. self-validate myself. I can't look for validation elsewhere because if I do, I'll have a very short run, you know? And I want to be a person that my inner world dictates my outer world as opposed to the other way around because you'll never be happy that way. Yeah. So even if I, in this business is so unsteady, that you really have to rise up to the challenge internally. Yeah. And you know, going a little bit back, back your childhood, when did you discover that love for acting and creating? Was it always in you? Or was there a moment where you found you were part of a school play and you realized, like, I'm, I'm meant to do this? Or was it before Chungalicious? You know what, girl? I, girl, I, I feel like I, I, don't, I can't even remember the moment. It was, I remember that was really little. I just always loved Playing, I was I was just playing for time. I had a video camera at a very young age. I started editing very young on Windows Movie Maker. Mm-hmm. I would like get my friends together and direct things. Like that was just that was my playtime. And actually, that's how me and Laura became best friends. Laura and I became best friends doing that. Like we would get together at each other's houses and like that's what we did for fun. We played improv. I mean, improv. You know, that's yeah. a fancy word, but it's really like okay, let's be these characters. And, just, and we were doing that at, in high school as teenagers. Maybe that's a little less uncommon. We both played Barbies till we were 13. Barbies, I mean, I think all little kids do that. It's just like, do you continue doing it or not? Like, when you play Barbies, you're basically playing an improv. Exactly, yeah. And you create these characters in, in this world where, you know, it's basically a little story, but like in games. And obviously, I talked um, with Laura and... She mentioned about the creation of Chungalicious, which is like the uh, like taking inspiration from Fergalicious and how it yeah. like became that viral hit. But I want to talk about what went what went through your head during that time of like. I think Chungalicious is a perfect example of what I'm talking about because when we made it, we were having fun. 
we were just purely having fun. We weren't thinking about a result. We weren't having an expectation. We didn't have any pressure. And I think that's a great example of like when you're just having fun, you're, you have love. What the thing? What can happen? What was going through my head? Nothing. We were in we were in school. Um, you know, I like to say that I was a nerd. I know Laura doesn't. Will be like, I'm an, I'm not a nerd. <laughs> We grew up in a time where chongas ruled the school, and uh, they were the coolest girls, they were the most popular girls, and we were not. So when we got to high school, we started, you know, seeing the funny things about chongas. We weren't, like, scared of them anymore as much. I got beat up. I mean, I didn't get beat up by a chonga, <laughs> but I got slapped by a chonga when I was in middle school. What did you do with Mimi? We were in, we were having auditions. It was auditions for Hispanic Heritage Month. So the group of chongas, they had their dance to it, Sabiu, 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 Sabiu. And I, we, my, my group of friends, we did a no, do you guys remember, do you remember Noelia? No me acusen porque traigo. Yes. So we did a dance to that. And then I don't know what happened when we walked outside in the hallway. One of the girls from it, the chonga from the Sabiu dance stepped on my friend's, my friend stepped on her backpack. And then her, I think her name was, Cecilia or Cecily, Cecily Dolce. Oh my God, Dolce. Oh. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> so she, um, she like, she was like, she cussed my friend out. And so at that time, I was like the little leader of my friend group, and I was like, she just. I don't remember what I said, but I defended my friend. You know, we were like, then whatever that went away. We we were walking out to school, and then they brought like the head chonga. Her name was Andrea Laura. And they found us, like, outside of the PE court. And she was like, you got beef? And um, I was like, no. And then she came up to me, and she grabbed my shirt, and she pushed me against the chain link fence. And she was like, um, why are you, like, go ahead, well, do something. She was like, do something. And I was like, no, because I'm not stupid like you. <laughs> And then she slapped me, or she slapped me. She pulled me into the chain link, but she slapped me. And then she was like, "What are you gonna do?" And I was like, "Nothing, because I'm not stupid like you." And then she <laughs> let me go, and we walked away. And then I went home and I cried. <laughs> so I don't know how we got into that story, but that's but, a little. So that was a little explanation to like the impact of Solas in my life. But that was a mean one. There was also a girl in my school that I was I was close friends with a few Shongas. We were friends, and I could never completely be a chonga because I wasn't allowed to. There's, like, certain things you have to do to be a chonga. Like, you have to have cool hair, mm-hmm. styles that I wasn't allowed to do. You have to, like, I was too overprotected to be a chonga. Like, I wasn't allowed to go to the cool parties. And, like, and when I was, my mom was really annoying about it. Like, she would come, and she's like, Tengo que hablar con, la, con, los, con los parents. Like, I have to talk to the parents first. Shit like that. So... Anyway, so I think the Chonalicious video came from a place of, of like, admiration and mm-hmm. also teasing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, teasing is a very, for me, teasing is affectionate. Yeah. And I think when you tease someone, it's not affection, but it also came from a place of admiration. Um, and then it developed into our alter egos. Yeah. Because we had had them for so long, and it became, like, sort of a nostalgic way of holding on to all of the beautiful things about growing up in Miami, a place where, um, you know, being Latina isn't even considered, you're not a minority. So we grew up, like, thinking we were, like, not thinking about things like that. 
you know what I mean? We yeah. were just like my in Miami, like Latino run shit. So we never. When I grew up and I went to school in tech, oh, I'm going on a tangent, bro. No, I love this. Time. I love this. I talk about I went to Texas, and that was the first time that I. That was a culture shock for me. That was the first time I had experienced. Mm-hmm being discriminated, being prejudiced again, and people treating me a certain way and having these ideas about me, being hypersexualized. Because I was in a very conservative school, like very white, private, rich school. I went there for theater. And so with time, you know, the Chonga girls thing, like it transformed from like a silly thing that I did with my friend, um, you know, to a real empowering, through comedy practice. Mm-hmm. I've spoken with a lot of Latinos from Florida, and I just love that pride and love for their Latino identity and heritage that I have, while growing up in California, I've always lacked, I, I kind of never really saw that in my community here in California. Yeah. And... To know that, you know, when you move to Texas and have that culture shock and then experience discrimination and the hypersexualization, like, what were, you know, you were young, you were a young woman, like, how, yeah. how were you able to, like, just move away from that or pass through that and just, like... Oh, like, it was, the, I call it the dark ages, to, to this day, I call it the dark ages of my life. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah. Um, how did I move through it? I... I just talked about it a lot because it was my first time experiencing it. So I was talking about it because I came from a place where it didn't exist and then something shifted. Luckily, I had, I did have some friends and I would just, I was just hanging out with all the black kids, honestly. Mm-hmm. And like all the few people from Miami that were there, like we all stuck together and we all talked about it. We all felt it. And I think like black people and Hispanic people have always had, although like the older generations, there's that colorism and that mm-hmm. racism. But I think for my generation and under, I feel like we've always, or maybe a little, like one generation above me, whatever, I don't know, but there's always been, like, a certain um, solid, solidarity between yeah. people, Latino people, and black people. Yeah. So, I mean, we, like, was able to share that with them, and they understood, and they felt the same way, and so we just talk shit all the time. <laughs> well, I actually became, in that time, a little bit great prejudice and racist towards like wasps, like white Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. Protestants, you know what I mean? Because we didn't have, I didn't have that in Miami. Like, the most white you get in Miami is Jewish, which is not even that white to me. Because yeah. to me, they're also, a, they were, they're people with a lot of persecution, and, and so they understand um, that. Yeah. But yeah, I became, I definitely formed a lot of opinions and formed my worldview, which a lot of times I look back and I'm like, damn, why did I go to school there? It was awful. I regret it, but then I'm like, well, you know what? I wouldn't have learned what I've learned, and I wouldn't have had that first head-on experience, and I wouldn't have really understood that mentality that a lot of the country had if I didn't go through that. Exactly. And I imagine after you graduated from Texas, and then you moved to L.A. No, I went to Miami. You went back to Miami. Yeah, and I had a born-again Christian phase. And was, was in that okay, in, okay? In that moment, were you? Did you realize that not the whole, not everybody in the world were like racist, and that there was like good people in the world that you know didn't judge you because of your skin, or, or was it like? A, well, I mean, I always knew that I was a 
always knew not everyone was because I grew up in Miami, so I didn't like grow up with that. Yeah. But I, but I am very quick to recognize. For me, it's an energetic thing. Like I can quickly recognize who's with it and who's not. It's really just a matter of ignorance. Yeah. So I can tell, like, like that. I think a lot of people of color can. But I think some people are way too defensive. I don't, I don't think I'm on the real defensive side. Mm-hmm. I think I'd like to think that I'm in the middle where I can suss someone out really quick, but I think I have a good, um, whereas I think some people who have maybe been hurt more than I have are more, ang- more quick to anger and more quick to be defensive and don't really give people a chance. Yeah. You have that gut feeling, right? Like, oh, this person isn't like, yeah, doesn't like that I'm talking Spanish with my parents, or you know, or just this person is ignorant. Yeah, not even like doesn't like. I don't. I, I, I'm gonna just talk about LA because it's been a while since I've lived in Texas, mm-hmm. um, where I think like you know that kind of a place is loaded with a lot of segregation. But I think in LA, I've been here now a few years. I don't. I come across people that they aren't as familiar with Latino culture, and they don't. You can tell they don't have a lot of friends that are. And I wouldn't say that they, it bothers them if I speak Spanish. I think they like it, yeah. but they'll say little comments that I can tell it's harmless enough. But I'm like, oh, you really to you, we're still like a character, like. It's still, if you don't, and it's a, it's a very subjective thing because there's some people who can make fun and make comments, but it's, you get where they're coming from and you're like, ah, I'm going to laugh at you, yeah. you can get it. But then some people can say stuff, like, for example, like if, if a white boy is like, oh, are you going to eat tacos? I'm like, okay, you're, you're annoying. You're not with it. You're dumb. You don't, obviously don't know people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's those little things. Do you find those little things while you're um, in, in castings, like going for a role for a certain character? Do you see those like certain requirements for a Latino character, like, or is it less? I like would that? say that my comments on the industry, when it, are more in general, that I still think a lot of shows that are not created by Latinos are like really they just have this narrative of of us being victimized. And like it exploits that like of course the border stories are important but I feel like the way that white people in Hollywood if it, they do it as an exploitative it's like it's not, we don't always have to be the victim we don't always have to be like the sad story you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's, it's very exploitative to me I feel like I think as far as casting goes for me it's just interesting because I'm not because I'm like not the typical look here, especially on the West Coast. Um, that's the part that's tricky for me because I'm never like I'm either too exotic or I'm not like I'm not I'm too exotic for like the straight white parts, and then I'm not. A lot of times I don't look Latina enough for the Latina part, so that's just my thing. Yeah, you're you're kind of in the middle, and like I feel like the industry doesn't really know what to do and that's like the show it shows the problem that they just have this like yeah. idea of what latino or like certain people look like you know like they play right. in a box and i mean i get it it's like there's a whole initiative now to put darker skinned people on the, in the for, in, 
in front line because they haven't had that shine. So I understand that. Yeah. Um, I was looking at the West Coast thing because, like, on the East Coast, like in New York and Miami, you have more people from the Caribbean and more like mixes and more like light, so it lighter skin. So people are more used to like a rainbow. Mm-hmm. But I think on the West Coast, you, because it's much more people coming from. There's like some people in Mexico too, but like people will just see it more as like a certain look with like yeah. the darker skin, the brown eyes, and the brown hair. But you know, like I said, I think especially with Afro Latinos, there's like a whole initiative now where you want to put them more in the front center because then they have no, you know, hasn't been like that. So, yeah. What can I say? I mean, it's a problem that fortunately, you know, there's more Latinos in the industry and more Afro Latinos that I hope are taking those writing jobs, are taking those production jobs, and creating these storylines that aren't about, you know, victimizing our community and more of, like, empowering them and writing those, like, happy stories and those, like, diverse stories that, you know, we're either the superhero or the lawyer or... I don't know. Yeah, or there's, like, a story where there is no problem about... There is no problem. The problem is, like, whatever. Someone broke up with their boyfriend and they just happen to be fine. Yeah. By the next, yes. And so you are classically trained. Was Yes, I, I love I love that you found that in my biography. Classically trained. Classically trained. And <laughs> but I hey, I love that. I love that. I do you love the theater more than being on screen or is it like the different different kind of love, different kind of experience? It's a different kind of love. It's a different kind of love. I can't wait till I have, I can't wait to go back into theater, but I feel like I want to really establish myself first in the film and television industry before going in, but I can't wait. I know it's coming. And I feel like you're, you're such in a good path of, you know, establishing yourself. You know, Thank you. Seriously, like, you're in, I, I still have to see Piel Canela, but seeing the trailer... Like, That's gonna be a feature. We're working on that as a feature, and I'm so excited for that. Where um, there's like our directors talking to some production companies and getting some of the money, and we're going to shoot January 2021 and start shooting. But it's going to be like, oh, I'm so excited! Oh my I'm god! So excited! Like that movie's touching upon colorism, like. Especially, it's touching about Catholicism versus Santeria, because obviously in Cuba, there's, like, that huge distinction. Mm-hmm. The Afro-Latinos are more into Santeria, and then the, the white people on the islands are more... So it's going to be that, because, you know, my boyfriend in the movie, my first love, my baby daddy, he's black, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it touches on all of these, like, greater themes, mm-hmm. and then my character is going to go to Miami in the 80s and, like, try to make it there... You know, so it's like the time periods are exciting. It's a female story. It's just oh, it's gonna be so great. Oh my gosh, I'm excited! I can't wait for the outfits and the fifties and the fifties and eighties and like the other thing is too like you don't get like I guess like when I think of Miami movies in the eighties, I think of Scarface, and I was like, that's such a like guy movie, and it was made in the eighties. So here, uh, but like I feel like Miami in the eighties is such a rich, exciting time. And I just think there need, I just think there's not enough stories about Miami in general and yeah. the Cuban American experience, which I think any good story touches everyone. Like 
I don't want people to look at that movie and be like, oh, I don't get it because I'm not Cuban. Because we don't do that when we watch white movies, you know what I mean? Yeah. But but if it's a good story, it will transcend and everyone will be touched. But it's a matter of how good the writing is. I mean, I know it's only wrong. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm excited. You know, we I have to have you back to want to like, to, you know, share about that experience. And yeah, I, I still, for the listeners who, you know, may not have heard of Piel Canela. Oh, of course, probably they haven't. Okay, so Piel Canela is about a woman who has, um, who has to leave, who has a baby with her black boyfriend in 1950, in 1950s Cuba. She has to leave with the revolution and because of the colorism and the racism, she needs to leave her baby behind because she looked down upon. So she leaves my aunt. She leaves and she comes back in 1980, the first time that they open up um, Cuba for people who have fled to come back. They open up for one day. Anybody who wants to leave, anyone who wants to come. So she comes back to find her daughter, try to get her to go back with her to Miami. Ooh, and question do you play the daughter or the woman that leaves i play the woman so i play i play the veronica when she's 15 and then i play her when she's in her 30s okay um, late 30s okay got it because her, her daughter i i saw that scene and i was like is she getting married or is that a quinceanera i was like yeah and i was like but the the dress is white I don't... Well, oh, yeah, because back in the day, um, quinceanera dresses were white. Were white? Okay. In Cuba, at least. In Cuba? Okay. See, I didn't know that. And I, I love those details. Like, you know a little bit of history and the culture of that era in movies? Okay, so... Yeah. yeah. So, please, if next year, when this feature comes out, you have to go see and support our community. But also, if you have Bill Canela in your community, like, theater, ask for it or go watch it and support Mimi. Yeah, we, when it when it when it comes out, when it's popping, the yeah. shadow. <laughs> and <laughs> so, like I said, you are working towards you know establishing yourself as a film and yes. TV actress. And yes. you know, you were part of Spider Man to the Spider Verse, which is un- like I know the writer is one of the he's a Cuban American as well. Oh my god, I didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't know that? Okay, well. I think it's Phil Lord who who is Cuban American who won okay. the Oscar for Spider Man to the Spider Verse. And seeing the projects that you've been, it's putting an alto our community. Can going into voice acting a bit for our listeners who are wanting who are working toward, towards being an actors actresses and voice actors, yeah. I think we can tell us, like, the first step, I feel, is... Or not maybe the first step, but what the first well, couple of steps... if you don't... If you just want to go into voice acting, I, I think the first step would be to create a reel. A, a voice reel. And you could look that up online. Um, and it's just, like, different clips of you doing different scripts. Mm-hmm. Like, whether it's animated stuff or, like, commercials for cars. You know, look up copy or just make up your own copy and then uh, edit it together I would say is the most like DIY community that right now yeah and then start sending it out to look up agencies that have voice departments and start sending your stuff out and 
you know, you've been growing and taking, you know, you've done Piel Canela, you just shared with us that it's going to be a full-length feature, and you recently announced that you'll be part of the movie Limestone. Can you share how that came about, and whatever you can share with us about the synopsis of that movie? It's a short film that's based in Miami from this uh, Fifth Floor Productions. They are FSU alum, and we're going to do that. That film is going to come out this year. They're going to submit it to festivals and stuff, but it's about about this girl who sees her ex-boyfriend, and she thinks she wants... It's a very simple story. Um, and she thinks, she's like, you know when you, when you, like, see your ex, and you want to, you reconnect? Yeah. And then as she spends time with him, she goes back to his house, and he's, like, this spoiled, like, mummy beast. Oh, yeah. Venezuelan kid. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> so she just, like, realizes that she really needs to move on from this part in her life, and she comes up with a plan to get out of the hookup. I'm not going to say what that is because that's kind of the, but it's a little, it's a little gross, so. <laughs> okay. Is it a horror movie or is it like No, a it's not a horror movie. Oh, okay. It's, it's great that, you know, you mentioned earlier that you were talking about these different stories of not, you know, making the Latino characters into victims and overall your stories have a strong storyline that, is different from what we normally see in the industry. Thanks. So, obviously, you you know, you spoke about this, but are you very intentional of going after these roles? Or? Um, I think that when you are an actor or a creative, you know, you're, the more authentically yourself you're being, the more you attract things that are right for you. So I would just say it's a two-way street. I'm not in a position yet where I'm being offered that many things. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a lot of decisions to make in that realm. But um, I've been fortunate that the projects that, you know, they've been, like, I met the director of Gilkanina completely by chance. And then with limestone, I was offered that role, but I was like, "Of course, it's it's a it's a Miami story. It's an indie. Uh, it's elevated. It's more. It's a little bit more complex." So I was like, "Yeah, of course." Like I went to Sundance this year. It was my first time going, and it was like I would say I'm so happy I made the decision to go because I think it was like the best year for Latinx so far. Like there were a bunch of films in the festival. By about Latinos created by Latinos that were so cool mm-hmm. and like so, you know, elevate. When I say elevated, I don't mean like oh, you have to be like, you know, I don't mean you have to be super smart to understand. I just mean like elevated in that it's a complex story with interesting characters that you've never seen before and a new way of storytelling. You're not like the typical procedural mm-hmm. with the you know, crying Latina mom yeah. who's, like, you know, getting deported. Not that that's not important, and I think when it's done well, it's done well. I just, like I said earlier, a lot of times I think it's exploitative on 
network television mostly. Yeah. But anyways, um, so yeah, it was a great year and it was really inspiring. It was really inspiring, like Mucho Amor, Mucho Mucho Amor that's coming out on Netflix, which is a Walter Mercado um, documentary, amazing blast beat with um, Wilmer Valderrama mm-hmm. and um, Diane Guerrero and then the Moises the brothers. Super cool story. Um, the one that won the um, Audience Award, which was, it's a Mexican story and like the director did something really cool where she like used the real people at the end uh-huh. it was like documentary style at the end but the beginning part is I carry you with me yes I carry yeah. you with me so it was an exciting year and then you know um just came out yeah Jenny's uh has a role in there yes which I I, I appreciate that show I think it's done very well and you said that you, you know, met the director of Piel Canela and then you created this friendship. And I feel like being part of the industry, in any industry, you have to be part, you have to go to these certain events, surround yourself with You have to people. have a community. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like you go into Sundance this year and seeing the movies that are created by Latinos, Latinx. Yeah. You create these connections and friendships that later on yes. get you roles. Because, yes. And this is a piece of advice that I can give. Is that when you first start in, the, in, a, in any kind of business, you like network, network, I have to network. Mm-hmm. Or like, what can I get from you? What can you get from me? What can you do for me? What can I do for you? Yeah. And the truth is, is like, I just want friends that love what they do as much as I do. And who are as passionate and have interesting creative minds. So when you start thinking about it like that, I just want to meet a community of creative people that I vibe with. Because you, I mean, then, like, because a lot of people go to, like, these things and they're thirsty. They're, like, desperate, you know. And, 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 of course, like, we all have those moments. And some people never get out of that. But the trick is, is just, like, realizing, no, I, I just want to be friends with people that understand me and that I can create things with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if, if you want to be my friend, too, because you think I'm cool, <laughs> we can cool. Like, for me, like, creation and collaboration is, I love it. Like, I love it so much. It's, like, sets. So if you think I'm cool and you want to create with me, then or like you want to like talk about like movies and stuff, like let's be friends. <laughs> so that's my advice, yeah. and I think that's how you create a community. Is like coming from that point of view, the friendship, and uh, not like, oh my god, this person is going to help me get this, and like this person has this many followers, so like if I take a picture with them, I'm like I get in their video, then I'm like, I mean, of course, like there's a time and a place, but I think mostly. I think the purest way is coming from a place of friendship and love. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people who are afraid of that networking or collaboration or are scared to, like, seeing being seen as, like, thirsty from, like, of fame or mm-hmm. that. You gotta come, yeah, you gotta come at it like that. Like, yeah. then that comes with self-worth and self-value. Like, no, that's a big shit that happens to me, too. It's like, I'm fucking dope. Like, I'm a really cool, I'm really smart, I'm creative. So if you're more famous than me or whatever, 
I hope you are humble enough to see the greatness in someone else, even if I haven't achieved what you have yet. Exactly. And for me, that's a big telltale sign of of a character of a person. Like, if someone is has a certain amount of success and they carry themselves a certain way, and they think, you know, and, and I get it. Like, when you reach that point, you will do have a lot of leeches. But in certain situations, it's very clear to see that sometimes people overlook the beauty in someone else because they're not where they're at yet. Mm-hmm. And I, I experience, I mean, that's how, that's how you see who people really are. Because, like, it's such a fickle time because as soon as you start getting something, then all of a sudden people start texting you. People that you text and then you don't respond will then turn around and text you once things are popping. So I only want people in my life, friends and collaborators and creatives, that are able to see the brilliance in someone regardless of where they're at. And that's also on you to have enough self-value and self-worth to carry yourself in such a way, which is like goes back to what I was talking about earlier, that you shouldn't base your self-value on your achievements. You should base it on like your internal, like just I'm worthy no matter what. And when you walk around with that energy, people respond to you differently. Yeah. If you walk around like, oh my God, they're so much better than me. Like, hey, like, can you please like, oh my God. Or like, and then you get you know, offended if someone doesn't respond. It's on you. You got to love yourself and you got to know that you're worthy. I feel like you experience those friendships, air quotes, that only talk to you or approach you just because you reach a certain goal or were part of, you're friends with certain people. Is that, am I, am I... Yeah, I yeah. mean, and, and that fluctuates because, like, in this business, you can be on a high one day and the next day you'll be on a low. And so people respond, to, the people that respond to you differently based on the high and low, those are the people that I don't want to be friends with. <laughs> At the end of the day, your friends who are you're collaborating with and yourself have the best interest for, like, you and, like, people that you love you love but you know I want to go more deeper into that professional aspect of right now you as Mimi you know in November I talked with Laura and she you know shared with me that you're both writing the scripts for your short film you know and and your feature and I just found it amazing that you both met when you were teenagers Mm. And you still have that friendship and that writing friend, that professional friendship as well, collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How has it been since November t- up till today, which is rec- in March of 2020? Uh, how has that progress been so far? I think writing a feature is very time consuming. Not all the time, you know. Sometimes people can write one in the night and then it, like, is a very, this is what it is. But most of the time, I think it takes a while because especially when you're writing about yourself, which when we write the Choma Girls material, which is why we took a break off of the internet because we knew we had to evolve as people to get to where we wanted to go with our projects and focus on that. So when you're writing about yourself, it's a little bit even more challenging because you can only write you can only write as much as you 
the more self-aware you are, especially in comedy, the more self-aware you are, the better you can write. Yeah. Especially when you're writing about yourself. So it's like, if you're just here, you can't see what I'm doing because this is audio, but like I basically have my hands in front of my face. You can't, you can't see, but you have to kind of step outside of yourself and grow and evolve to see all of the nuances and the subtleties. So I think that's really where we are with the Chunga Girls movies. Like, I've been very impatient about it in the past. I was like, okay, it's going to be ready now. I want to right now. But I know that for it to be what I really want it to be, we still, we're still in it. Like, we're on draft eight. We're on draft. And then the other thing is, like, I think it's really important to find people to help you develop things. Like, a, if, if a, you know, so we still have a... Either we write, either we finish writing it on our own and get it to like a bomb place. It's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm a perfectionist. Or we find like a great collaboration with a great production company that really understands us and our vision and helps us shape it. Or like, you know, we had we had um, or like yeah, yeah. And so before. Um, you know, with having this talk, you know, I, I know from uh, from Laura, it was it's great to have books on improving how to like writing scripts, on mm-hmm. also having space between you two and just like going back at it because you're always writing, constantly writing, and you need mm-hmm. like you're two people, right? And you constantly, yeah, you would need those five or six pair of eyes to just show you maybe a different path that your characters can take? Yeah. Or, like, is it hard asking that opinion from others when it's, like, your baby and you know you want it to be perfect, or...? No, it's not. But sometimes, some sometimes, you don't have to take it. No, it's not. It's not hard. I love people's notes. But I don't have to take their notes. Yeah. Like, I know when, like, I know what I like and I know what I don't like. Mm-hmm. And I always try to take my ego out of it yeah because sometimes it's hard to hear the truth and I always take that moment to be like all right if this really affected me or it made me upset there's probably some truth to it that I don't want to see and I'm not talking about right I'm talking about like everything, everything now yeah. you know but yeah a lot of times with, with your work for yeah. sure and I love that you're being real in terms of like you you both are writing your eighth draft you know it's like Nothing comes out of its first draft, you know. You you have to keep, you know, polishing it and making it better. So, yeah. right now, on the eighth draft, I know it's... Can we see this um, short film coming out this year, or...? Oh, I was talking about the feature. Oh, the feature, okay. Yeah, the short film... Um, I don't... The short film is in the air. I don't know about that. Okay. And the, that way, yeah, we don't know about that. Okay. You know, this, this, I guess I always like to pull my guests and say, like, what you speak, you know, will happen. So mm. when, when can we see this feature film coming out? The feature? I would like to say between the next, probably in two years. Two years? Okay. One or two years. And, you know... I like that you say that because I feel people need to realize, and people who, women who are interested in working in the film industry and being writers and writing their own feature films, movies take a lot of time. 
to happen. Things, everything takes time. Yeah. That, and that brings me back to what I was saying in the beginning. It's like, you just have to trust and you have to calm down and continue doing your work and focusing on your lane. Yeah. You really got to trust and get out of your own way. When you start, and I'm saying this, I'm talking about myself. Like, you need to start, like, doubting or worrying or when is it going to happen and being impatient and being desperate. You're causing and creating resistance in your being, which yeah. is not helping you. And so, like, learning how to just trust and come from a place of love, everything will fall into line. And... I want to, you know, go back to that because I feel this is you speaking that I feel like, like you said before, like you weren't like that before, like you trusting and like, was that a work in progress? Can you talk about a certain situation that made you realize like, no, like I have to trust and like, it's going to take time and everything did a certain situation. Well, it's, it's such a large thing that I'm going to, let me think how I can put into it's, it's just like, a, it's not like, I don't think it was one event. I think it's really a journey, but I think that when you, also when you, I think it's really just realize, realizing the fragility of life mm-hmm. and um, knowing that, you know, tomorrow's not promised. Yes. And when you really tap into that, it makes all of the things that are not important fall away and you start placing value on the things that are really important. And so when it comes to when you're a real creator or an artist, you just start realizing like, I'm just happy that I can, that I'm doing what I love to do. And that's, that's it. And then when you start worrying about the when and the how and the what, and you start comparing yourself to people or you start being like, oh, I need to do this to get this, then mm-hmm. that's when you start, I think that's when you start disconnecting from the fragility of life. And I think as an artist or as anyone who's pushing towards something greater than themselves in any field, being connected to that is key. And it, it's painful, but it's the truth. And it really places your values where they should be. That's beautiful. And I feel that that really, like, that gives me hope in these moments of time because for our listeners, we were supposed to do this interview in person and (laughs) due to what's happening around the world was, you know, COVID-19 and just COVID, COVID, coronavirus, COVID, what's up COVID, COVID? ruin our lives and everyday (sighs) schedule. But you know, I don't think, I actually, I think it's not ruining our lives. I think it's doing what I I was just describing. It's, I think it's helping us, everyone's like slowing down and really realizing what's important and what's not. Yeah. And I think good change will come out of it. Exactly. And like having us go back to that, realizing the fragility of life that you said and being just grateful that we're able to do for, you know, what we love. You as an actress, as a writer, as a creator, you have that fortune of being in that area of like creating stories that can empower, can inspire and find hope in the viewers. Yeah. I mean, I think that as, I think we're all, I think 
creative artists are all healers. I think we're healers. And yeah. The more you can connect to that, and the better your your work your work will be. But I, I mean, that's just that's my that's my thing. Yeah. Some everyone's in it for different reasons. <laughs> Stop. That's my dog. Everyone's in it for different reasons. I know I'm. I know ultimately I'm in it because I'm a healer, and that looks very different ways. I mean, Healer sounds so serious, and it's like, <gasps> but but it could be funny and silly. But I love and it that. Sexy. Yeah, and I love that because funny, silly, sexy. Funny, I think that's very you, Mimi. Like, you know, <laughs> as a comedian, as a beautiful Latina mujer, like, <laughs> very you. And you know, after for there's those people that may for those mujeres that are working towards their goal of being voice actors, writers, producers, and just trying to just remind themselves of, like, their big why. Because that's your why. You know, you're a healer. You know, you, you want to heal people through the stories that you read, the, the characters that you, you know, are part of. How, what can you say to those, you know, mujeres that are struggling right now and, like, remind themselves of their why? Believing in yourself. Because I... You know, yeah. it's very easy with those big whys of, like, I'm a healer. Yeah, it's easy for me to say that right now because I'm talking to you and I'm having fun talking. And, I'm, you know, as we're talking, we're empowering each other. Yeah. And right now I'm in a state of excitement because I was just talking about all the things I love. But, like, you know, two hours from now, something annoying can happen. And I can't unconsciously without realizing start losing belief in myself and eventually that can turn into oh is that real like really are you really a healer like for real and and you have to really be in touch with that you have to be in touch with those you have to be aware of what's going on inside of you and you have to keep up the belief of your why because mm-hmm. it's so it's such a like thing in the air that no one can see it's just coming from you and your heart that if you don't give it power and you don't tend to it and be like, what's going on with you? Like, do you not believe this today? Why? What happened? You know, it can just vanish. And then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, like everything sucks and I don't have a purpose because I don't believe in myself and you feel disconnected from everything. Yeah. Which is what I think, going back to COVID, my homeboy, <laughs> I think COVID is, helping us realize that we are all connected because we're all in this together now for real you know and everyone I think everyone can really take this time to connect to their purpose honestly it puts things into perspective but yeah I think that's what it is is like it's you know your big why sometimes when you don't believe in yourself it sounds cheesy and you don't believe it you don't think it's real but you have to make it real and you know I, I, I like these conversations to be like obviously evergreen but it's important to talk about right now, you as a creator, who I feel like, like we're saying, you empower yourself through conversations with people that, like right now we're like inspiring each other, but mm-hmm. what can you advise right now in this moment of having to be at home and your work, your passion is to be surrounded with other creatives? How, what do you plan to do or... What are you doing right now that makes you, you know, have the creative juices flow and 
Well, I think that when you come, I think actually it's great for creatives. When you are, when you're bored, I mm-hmm. think that's when the best things start coming about. When you calm down and you take away like the stress and the pressure of like mm-hmm. having to do something and you're bored, that's when things happen. So I'm going to write, I'm going to watch stuff. I've been watching High Maintenance on HBO. Have you watched it? Not yet, but I'm going to put it I just list. started watching it. I mean, it's in its fourth season, but I, I really like it a lot. Mm. You know, watching things that inspire you, writing, reading, all of that stuff, which is we don't, we don't get to do that as much in our day-to-days because we're so, like, on the go and we're mm-hmm. so with this capitalist mentality. <sighs> achieve, 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 do, do, do. And uh, I think this is a great time for creatives. And I'm actually excited, you know, after this period ends and to see the creations that, you know. Me too. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, when this is over, there's going to be a lot of cool things. Or like even while it's happening. Yeah. You know, I actually want to do a video with Laura, but I'm scared because I'm here with my grandma. So I have, if I was by myself, I wouldn't worry but because I'm with my grandma like I'm really self-quarantined so that's the thing but I've already feel like I was inspired last night yeah like watching shows and like writing in my journal I think in these times of being isolated and creative not be selfish because (laughs) and just be with like be connected to everybody in the sense of like affecting each other's health in your case with your yeah, family. Yeah, I think the best thing to do if you can, because some people still have to go to work, mm-hmm. and not everything is um, shut down, but I think the best thing you can do is self-quarantine. Yeah. And you as an actress, you know, this has, as for us, you know, we're, for, we're recording this in March, it has just started. As an actress, how has it affected you, this situation? Uh, well... I know a lot of productions have shut down. Um, pretty sure there probably won't be auditions for a while. But again, I, I, I do think it's for creatives is like really take advantage of this time. Yeah. Right now I see more of the positive, honestly. Yeah. You caught me here. Also because I'm in a good mood right now. But yeah, I just see the positive right now. But here, like hearing you talk during the art, this conversation, I feel like you're... You're a woman that knows who she is, knows her skills, and has that positive outlook most of the times. You know, and from uh-huh. speaking with Laura and how she describes you, like, you are a positive person, so. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I am a positive person. But I'm not, like, fake positive. Yeah. More realistic, but also seeing the good side of, of things. Yeah. And, you know, now to close this conversation, I always ask my guests, um, if they have the opportunity you know, to time travel back to talking with themselves, <laughs> five-year-old Mimi or 10-year-old well, Mimi, 15, or Mimi of last week, uh-huh. what would you say to her knowing what you went through, you know, this amazing life that you've had so far? It's funny because when you say that, I just automatically think of, like, what would I say to change the course? But that's not the question. It's not about, like, changing anything. But would you change... So, would you change anything, though? That's another question, but... 
Yes. I don't think that that's the right thing that I would. But obviously, I'm still not at a place where I can, where I don't have any regrets, even though I do see, I do believe that everything happens for a reason, but I still, there's some things I regret. There's still that little regret, but I don't think regret's a good thing to live with, and I think it comes from a place of mistrust. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, there's still that part of me that wants to change certain things, but I can't. I guess I would just say... So it's not an advice, right? Is it advice or what? It's advice, it's comfort, words of encouragement. Yeah, I would just say that um, to not worry and that everything is going to work out. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it has so far. Yeah, it's working. It is working out, yes. I mean, it's, yes. Yeah. And Mimi, thank you for this wonderful conversation. I feel like it definitely boosted this week um and just reminding ourselves that people like you are creating are working are have making films that in times like this can make you know make our day and remind us that we have a very rich story and creativity that we can pull from so thank you thank you this was great. Felt like I'm doing something yeah. in my bedroom. <laughs> and I think all the best things. Hey, like this, this podcast, A Yes, is sometimes created through my bedroom. Like I interview Mujeres like you and great Yeah, things, you know? it's great. It's great, especially right now. Because, you know, everything feels crazy. And so to be able to do something like this is fun. Yeah. It makes you feel like things are a little normal. And for our listeners who, you know, where can they reach you? Where can they follow you? I'm, yeah, Instagram. Mimi Luisa Davila. M-I-M-I-L-U-I-S-A-D-A-V-I-L-A. That's where you can reach me. I reply to everyone. Mostly. Unless you're a queen. (laughs) (laughs) No, I hope not. I hope my listeners, listeners are not creeps, but that's where you can follow Mimi and I doubt that your listeners are creeps because you are not a creep. (laughs) Thank you. And follow her so you can be updated on upcoming projects and news about Pier Canela and, you know, where we can see Limestone because I'm really excited for it. So... Really? Mm-hmm. Thanks. It's so nice to have... Like, I think the cool thing about social media is that you can discover people and um it's so nice i'm sure it feels like to the artists that i follow that you know it's so cool to be able to like follow someone and their journey and i'm i'm grateful that people feel that way about me because i i'm sure it makes me feel better so i'm sure it makes you know artists are very we have fragile like creators whatever we have fragile as everyone does but like what we do is so self-motivated that the like the support and the encouragement from people it really does help yeah it keeps you going definitely yes Yes, it does we just want to put (laughs) us i'm kidding no but yes it does yeah yes it does and thank you for listening to another episode of a yes you can follow a yes on instagram um at a just the podcast that is e double l a s the podcast you can email me and if you want to share your story here on the podcast that's at a yes 
at aspodcast at gmail.com. That is E-L-L-A-S, the podcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow me at bread underscore chai. That's B-R-E-N underscore J-A-I. Thank you, Mimi, once again for this conversation. And, you know, being real with me and talking about your projects and just reminding us that in these times, we can still create, we can still find times to, like, be with our family and just take care of one of another, you know? So Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think with this, I'm, the way I'm taking care of my grandmas, I'm like, you're still over there because I don't know what I have. It's true. So, you're still over there. <laughs> I'm going to be here. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> we, like, yell at each other through the room. Because <laughs> I just came from the airport, so I don't, you know, I don't know if I have something. Yeah. I hope. Please take care of yourself. And... <laughs> Yes, you too. Don't don't be don't be going out. Stay. People need to stay their ass at home. Exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna be staying at home. And but thank you, Mimi. And I hope I really hope we can do this again. You know, have an update yeah. on For sure on your journey and do it in person next time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you again, and you can listen to an episode in two weeks. Adios. If you've been listening to AS for a while, you know that I'm a big supporter of providing a platform for Latinas to share their stories and inspire current and future generations of women. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the lives of more amazing Latinas just like you. You can help by going to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Tell me what you think and leave any number of stars. It would mean the world to me. Thank you in advance. AS is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes. And thank you to Shro, who created the podcast theme song, Sunken Streets. You can download this track on freemusicarchive.org or listen to him on Spotify, YouTube, and follow him on Instagram. The transition song was Enjoying the Loop by Tomas Skaldeberg. Mimi's theme song was Candles and Wine by Lope on Epidemic Sound. And remember, this is a yes.